And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Locked and loaded, ready to go. Heatwave Sports on a Saturday night in Las Vegas. Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby, Mateo, on this side of the country, and on the opposite side, my co-host, always, Mr. Barton, TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, it's a Saturday show. That means we're going to, of course, talk NFL football, break down every game for you, get you ready for tomorrow morning and afternoon slate and and some other stuff as well but i I did want to start the show out by by talking about a couple things first of all there was an article about you my friend that came out in the chicago sun times today Uh, talk a little bit about that i thought that was just such a wonderful thing and looking at all the positive comments over on that there twitter a lot of other people besides myself love that article man yeah it really was was just a tremendous job done by a fantastic writer our buddy Rob Mish, who I met with when I was in Vegas uh, doing the live show. And me and Rob talk quite often. You know, I, I love how Rob kind of wants to be just involved with so much that goes beyond, hey, what, what kind of game do you have today? You know, <laughs> Rob's not the kind of guy that calls me up and says, all right, what are you betting today? Um, he'll kind of say, okay, what was your process? What was going on? And, and this was. This was a luncheon, a conversation between me and Rob that took a few hours, and it turned into a, a pretty outstanding article. It was so good that it, it brought you know uh, tears to some people's eyes, and my sister particularly said, "Wow, you know, she couldn't re- remember reading something so great because it wasn't only about the sports betting aspect, but Rob really cared about my life, and he really cared about how how I got here, which uh, you know a lot of people don't care about, <laughs> you know." Um, we're, I, we're in a business, Tim, as you know, with sports betting and you have the radio where we get mostly negative, right? There's not a lot of um, accolades that are thrown down. It's usually people disagreeing with our opinion on the radio. If I win, and I, I've often said this, I win 14 games in a row and I lose one. The 14 games in a row, you, you won't hear much, but you lose one and all of a sudden people will talk about it. So it was interesting to to read that Rob actually cared. He actually gave a rip, you know, uh, about me and how I got here as opposed to just picking winners and just picking games. So I really, I can't express, and this is my job to express it, (laughs) but I can't express fully how much I appreciated what Rob did. And it's funny because the kind of guy Rob is, he was thanking me for letting him write the article. And I'm going, Rob, this is just a tremendous thing to, to put out on paper. Um, you know, I should be thanking you. And I want to thank you, Tim, because you had a good piece of the article as well. You really had some kind, kind words to say about me. Uh, that wasn't even a, in a time that was without a shadow of a doubt that was being done when Rob reached out to me. He's like, hey, here, like you said, the, the guy's one of the biggest fans of the show. And we can't be more grateful for that because he does – push the show where he can to let everybody know that it's a good show. And, you know, we have great, great listeners and followers. And, and there's so many people out there that just really don't understand the dynamic of the show. But And it could be the hours. It could be a lot of things. You know, we, we're, you can listen. You know, actually, Tommy, 
our podcast uh, re-listens are actually the numbers are, are very good. So it makes it good that we produce enough that, that people want to listen. And it's like Rob said, it's a mixture of just facts, and and it's not it's not a scoreboard show. It's facts to look for, but then it's also the human side of it, like you said. And what's funny, I've told this story in a few years, but I told I tell it, and it's like you know. The way that people, when they listen to our show, they think, man, these guys have been friends forever. They know so much about each other. Well, we do to a degree, usually through a telephone that's 3,000 miles away because, like like I've said before, I, I can count almost on – it's a little bit over two hands now. That's about as many times as we've seen each other. But yet I was in your wedding uh, very early in our relationship, as a matter of fact. So we have that lineage there. And I, I'll take a phrase that you used to put on one of your uh, spots that ran on, on this show was – no doubt, when we, when Ronnie and I were doing this show, we were looking for, we wanted to have the handicapping aspect of it, and I was so just soured on the Vegas guys. So much have been either a retread, reused, or I just completely understood uh, the the thing that we always bonded over was the boiler room aspect of things. That I went out and I was listening to other shows, and that's where I heard you. So I went to the website, and I, Tommy, essentially in quotes, I cold called you through through an email to see if you had any interest of coming on the show. And that's kind of how the relationship began. And, you know, we had positive response after the first couple times you were on. And then we just said, hey, man, let's just make this a regular thing because it wasn't always about Tommy handicapping games. Tommy's sports knowledge was so so grand that it, it, it was actually an important part of the show for you, uh, me, and, and Ron for, for many years. And then, of course, it's transformed into just you and I now. But still, I think that's something that people – it's not Tom Barton they where it's Tom Barton, the person, and that's where Rob's article stood out. And I hope people uh, look at our social media, hit the link, and, and read that because, uh, like you said, you know, it's, it's just a human piece, and that's more so than a sports piece. And it truly was uh, happy reading that this morning. And my thing to you is, Tom, when throughout your illustrious career, you've been on ESPN National, you've you've been on Scott Farrell's show, you you made the first bet. In, in Pennsylvania, you know, you've done a lot of things. When you see an article about you in the Chicago Sun Times, what does that mean to you, man? It's just fantastic. Like, like I said, I mean, I've done I've done a lot. I, I've been written about multiple times, but coming from people that listen to the radio show, you know, one of the greatest things that I I found is when we did our live event a couple of weeks ago, and we met you know, some of the, some of the guys that listen to the show and they say, Hey, how's Abby? How's the kids? You know, I love the fact that I don't think that I, I try to talk about my personal life, but I don't hide it from the audience. And I love that. I feel like everybody is kind of a part of this all. Um, and like I said, I'm in a business and you know this and anybody out there that knows all the, uh, scam decappers running around, I'm in a business where guys are out there popping bottles showing off, sitting on boats, trying to convince you that they're making millions of dollars because they're betting on games. I'm in a business where I'm going, yeah, listen, you know, I, I may not make a million dollars this year, but I'm going to do okay. I'm going to do fine. Oh, come on. Fine doesn't sell, Tom. Fine doesn't get attention. And for a large part of the population, you know what? Fine doesn't get the attention. For somebody like Rob to understand that, you know what? Consistently winning for 12 straight years, should get attention. 
that really made it. It wasn't – look, if I go out there and I hit – remember when I hit UConn and I gave it away on this show, 55 to 1 odds before the season began. Um, and I had somebody write an article about that. And it was, oh, man, how did you know? What a prognosticator. Oh, that's great. But, Tim, you know, that's one win. <laughs> right? I, I can get written about for one win. If I walk into a casino and I put you know $50,000 on a game and I win, then maybe, maybe I'll get a little blurb somewhere. But for Rob to look at it and say, 12 years in this business, for 12 years you've been winning, for 12 years you've been doing good radio, for 12 years we, I'm enjoying their show, for 12 years, Tom, you found a winning formula. That is the longevity piece that a lot of people aren't enamored with. But the way that Rob wrote that article, it was absolutely fantastic. People I've never met before are DMing me and writing me and being like, wow, I didn't know your story. It's fantastic. What an inspiration. So that's really cool. 12 years, Tom, you've paid people's mortgages. You've paid people's monthly car payments. That's what it should be more about than, hey, I can be on a yacht with all the other uh, social media influencers across the country. It's not reality. That's a dream. The reality is if I can sign up at TomBartonSports.com and Tommy's going to produce, I'm going to make that pay- house payment tonight and have extra money I can do with whatever I want to at that point. Yeah, I mean, and again, not to rip apart these other handicappers, but why not? A lot of them <laughs> came from money, marketing backgrounds. Yeah. I say it all the time. Listen, those guys are better marketers than I am. They come from marketing backgrounds. They have a bankroll. Why? Well, mommy and daddy gave them a bankroll or they had a regular nine to five job or a 401k. No, no, no. I came from literally being homeless, you know, and producing what I produced. Maybe to people out there that want to sit back on a yacht and pop, you know, thousand dollar bottles. That's not an accomplishment. I can tell you this though, Tim, for 12 years, this is my only source of income. For 12 years, this is my job. You know, bought a house, paid for a wedding, got two cars in the driveway. You, you know, we're doing okay here. And it's all because, strictly because I can win at games. I can win at sports betting. I mean, that's just the reality. Um, I don't have to stand up there and beat my chest and say, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at me. Look, would I get more subscriptions that way? I probably would, Tim. But, you know, I mean, the subscriptions are nice. I'd like to help you guys out. But overall, I just want to win games. And that's it. Head on over to our social media at HW Sports at Tom Barton Sports, and, and you can find it's one of the top posts for us. You can click on that link and read Rob's wonderful article about Tommy. And speaking of Tom Barton Sports, Tom, this was the other thing I wanted to hit on. Uh, another winning day. I don't, I don't know what we have to say to you guys out there listening to, to, to get you to sign up. He, Tommy went two and one, a huge underdog winner. Total it flew over, and and almost Tommy. We almost had a money line winner there. It wasn't one of your selections, but I'm just saying that you were so spot on with with the with the game as the underdog. You said in there, I you know I I might even see them winning the game, and it really did come down to the end where they lost. But we covered the money. Yeah, yeah, that Rice game was was interesting. It's funny because I I had somebody write me, um, and they asked me about 25 minutes before game time, and, and I was just getting out of baseball practice. I I coached the kids, and he asked me, Tom. Should I, I sprinkle some on the money line? I said, yeah, listen, if you want to. He goes, but the line's going the other way. It's up to 18, 18 and a half. I said, who cares about that line? You know, it doesn't matter if it's 17 and a half, 18 and a half. We're, we're going to play close. I wouldn't go crazy on the money line. Thankfully, you didn't. But, man, they were in it till the end right there. You know, they really, really were in it till the end. And to be honest with you, look, even the loss, I don't feel terrible about my loss here, Tim, because 
what happened? I mean, it was it was a they had a seven point lead. We only needed another, you know, six points to cover the spread. M- missed field goal off of a block. The other team comes down, gets a field goal, and then a pick six. All right, you know, I, I, with what eight minutes to go, I'm just about winning that game. I don't feel bad about it, but I'll take two and one. I wrote this to Rob actually because he asked me. He said, "Wow, you know, you gotta you gotta win to any new members or or whatnot." I said, "Yeah." So we're two and one. I'll take two and one every day of the week for the rest of my life. <laughs> yep, exactly. Two and one today. I know Tommy's got a a nice card in the NFL tomorrow, so stay tuned. We'll, we'll give you a little incentive if you sign up at TomBartonSports.com here in hour number two. But Tom, let's since we're talking, where would you like to start? Obviously, college football. I'll let you per, I'll let you spin the wheel and tell us where we start in, on the college football landscape. Well, you know, we'll hold off UNLV for a couple of minutes, and let's just look at the, the national landscape. You know, Tim, I think that we have to start looking at certain teams in a different kind of tilted way now. Um, I think that there are certain teams that are out there that are obviously just a little overrated or a little underrated. And I think that we really have to kind of start passing the, the buck here and say, no, 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 no. hold on, hold on. Uh, that, that's, that's how they really are. Washington is beating Stanford right now, 30 to 15. Washington's only the number 18 team in the country. Look, I get it. You know, you people not believing in Washington. This will be Stanford's a decent team. This is another beatdown of Washington. They're up by by 15 points. They've been up by two touchdowns most, and and Stanford just scored a touchdown. They've been up by two touchdowns or more most of the game. I think we have to start taking Washington serious. I think we absolutely have to take a look and really, really look at Clemson in a different light. Now, Wake Forest put on a show here today. Okay, Wake Forest did well, but Clemson is not the number five team in the country. I was asked about this. I did a guest spot today on BetQL Radio in, in Chicago, and they asked me who's the number four team in the country. I said, look, I know Michigan played a close game with Maryland today, but I'm taking Michigan over Clemson because I don't love what I saw in Clemson. Can't take Oklahoma. They went down today, and I think we have to look at USC and start saying, yeah, you know what? They're getting wins, but, man, a three-point win? Only put up 17 points against Oregon State. I don't love that either. Mm-hmm. Saw Arkansas a loss today. Uh, Tennessee scored. Oh, how out. lucky is Jimbo, man? Oh, come yeah, on. That How lucky is Jimbo? I never liked Jimbo. Not that I'm saying that he should be fired, but come on. Can, can we stop with the Texas A&M is, you know, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form up there with the elites of the SEC? Yeah. Come on. You're right, because you can say Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, they're doing what they need to do. Michigan, it's a tight game today. We'll see how they bounce back and, and you know next week. But I think I agree with you in the Clemson. Is, look, Sam Hartman, you said it, Wake Forest, Sam Hartman put on a show. That was a, that was a fun game to watch, but should they be giving up 45 points in conference play? I don't know about that. And, and DJ, you know, we, we – Essentially crapped on him all last year. He's looked a lot better this year offensively in the quarterback position, but there's problems there for Dabo, and, and that needs to be really, really paid attention to in the next few weeks. Uh, Tennessee squeezes by Florida. What about in that next next range of teams? Anybody that you think can make a run here and sneak up? The Penn States, the Oregons, and what about NC State, Tom? They're going to crack the top ten this week uh, come Monday. I think I think you got to give a little bit to Tennessee there. I love Hooker, man. His guy is absolutely fantastic. 
He really, really looks good. NC State, I'm not buying into. I'm still not buying into them. You want a team that no one's really talking about um, that can come up here. By the way, Miami losing at home to Middle Tennessee State. I think Florida State's a team we got to start watching. And it's not just because I know guys that listen to me all the time are going to go, ah, you got the Florida State bias. No, I don't. Look, they recruit fantastically. And it's not me that said it. But before this uh, last draft class, not this year, the two years ago, which these guys are now, uh, you know, playing and they're on the field, Florida State was the number five draft class or recruiting class in the country. Okay, they have dynamic players on the field. Their quarterback is one of those guys that you can see the growth with. Florida State has gone out there and answered every single bell so far this year. Nobody is talking about them. No one is going to to sit back and have a conversation about Florida State. First of all, they should have been inside the top 25 after the last game. Now they go out there. I know Boston College is bad. They go out. They absolutely spank Boston College. So now they have they destroyed Duquesne. They went into LSU and won that game. I don't care who was won by one point. They beat LSU. They beat Louisville at Louisville, and they destroyed Boston College. Tim, you know, I know that there are big games to come, and three in a row. They have Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, back to back to back. Three games in a row. They also have Miami and Florida on the docket. So they'll get their due. But this is a team I think a lot of people are sleeping on. They have a three-headed running attack. They have a real good offensive line. If their quarterback play is where it should be and where it's been a lot of this year, Florida State can be that team. But the Nittany Lions, 4-0. They have a matchup at home against Northwestern next week, but if they can get by that and Michigan finds a way to win at Iowa, that sets up an an undefeated matchup between those two teams in two weeks' time. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm holding out hope that Penn State can be that team. But, you know, Tim, uh, look, who who impresses you here? Purdue, in Purdue, ah, ho-hum. I'm sorry, it's a ho-hum game. Ohio, all right, you drub them, you drub Central Michigan. They destroyed Auburn, and that's kind of what everyone's hanging their hat on, but, but look at what Auburn is. I don't think they're that, they're that impressive. It is, it's that Michigan game. And you don't have to win against Michigan and Ohio State to be legit, but you got to win one of those two games. And I will tell you, Minnesota in between that is the classic sandwich game. Minnesota's playing some good football, okay? And they have a talented team. So does Maryland have a talented team that took Michigan all the way to the wire today. So does Rutgers. And they're going to have to go to Rutgers. Don't discount that. So I want to believe in Penn State, but I look at their schedule and I go, ooh, man, there's a lot of hiccup games there. I can see them. Look, I can see them going into the big house beating Michigan, Tim, and then losing to Minnesota at home. Yeah. yeah. I think the same thing, you know, a lot of the quote-unquote experts are, are pushing Kentucky, and I, and I look at Kentucky, I'm like, okay, nice win at Florida in week two. They play at Ole Miss next week. If they can find a way to win that game, they're going to be 5-0. South Carolina, Mississippi State after that at home. So it's potentially a 7-0 and team heading to Knoxville to take on Tennessee in, in a huge, huge, uh, you know, r- regional rivalry matchup, I guess you could say. But I, th- that when I look at Kentucky, I look at it the same way that you kind of look at Penn State in that they could very well lose to South Carolina and, and all that's squashed because they're a one-loss team. They're not, they're not doing anything unless they go undefeated. So it's a nice story, but 
come the end of the year, they're going to be right there towards the bottom of the top 25, not the top. How about let's stay with the Big Ten here, Tim? The team that I told you before the year, I said, I don't know if they're going to be a great team, but I could see them in the college football playoff. And that's Minnesota. Look, Minnesota right now has not allowed more than 10 points to anybody. Okay. They've played no one. New Mexico State, Western Illinois, Colorado, and unfortunately uh, Michigan State today is a nobody, right? They've played no one. But who do they play for the rest of the year? They get Purdue at home next week. They'll be a heavy favorite. They go to Illinois. They'll be a heavy favorite. Then they go to Penn State. That's their one trip up game. They have Rutgers at home. They'll be a favorite. Nebraska, they'll be a favorite. Northwestern at home, favorite. Iowa, they'll be a favorite. That's at home. And then Wisconsin is just not that Wisconsin team anymore. Tim, this is a team that very, very, very legitimately could go undefeated. Now, they don't play Michigan. They don't play Ohio State. They'll have to take on one of those teams to get to the Big Ten title game. But I could see the Golden Gophers being completely undefeated going into that game. It would be a great Cinderella story, wouldn't it? I, I just don't see it happening, though. <laughs> I love their coach. You know, the problem with Minnesota, Tim, is that for as good of a coach as they have, they always have that weird game. You know, again, here's a spot where I could see them beating Penn State, having all the momentum on their side, oh, boy, and then, like, losing at home to Northwestern. Yeah. Right? I mean, they always have that game that you go, what was that? It just every single season. But I look at their schedule. They play one ranked team, and it's Penn State, who I'm not completely sold on yet. I think a lot of people will look at today's game and assume that, like, this is that's a huge thing for Minnesota. But but you just said it. Michigan State's not Michigan State this season or last season. They're they're a middle of the pack, a Big Ten team, Tom. And so that's where an overreaction, I think, goes against you in, in thinking that oh, they just crushed Michigan State. Well. You know, that's going to happen a few more times in Michigan State this year. How about Kansas, Tim? Remember last year I told you Kansas is building a program. I said last year I hit their their team total over for wins. This year I went in back into it again. Kansas already won, already cashed that ticket. How about Kansas is 4-0? and oh? I, I'm sorry. I know that, you know, it's kind of, well, it's just Kansas. Hey, 4-0 oh is 4-0. And for a program that could barely get out of their way two years ago, this is a huge accomplishment. 100%. 100%. He went, uh, the coach, Leopold, he went 2-10 and 10 last year, and that was supposed to be a successful season because of how bad the Kansas the over-under, football was. The over-under was set at 1.5. Yeah. That's how bad that program has been with the Charlie Weisses and the Mangiones, whoever the coaches were in the last, just take a 10-year period, Tom. They were absolutely horrible and now they've already doubled plus their their season win total. I, I love the story. Unfortunately, I, I think that it comes to a bit of a, a crashing end here very shortly. But still, they're, they're going to end up with six wins this year minimum, Tom. How much do you believe in UCLA? UCLA's 4-0. They, they're, you know, they're kind of steamrolling. Before the year, people loved UCLA. I didn't see it. I just it, it wasn't that team that was on the radar for me. What do you think about 4-0 UCLA? I'm I'm actually a bit shocked, to tell you the truth, because I'm so used to them being disappointing. And uh, I think if you're a fan of Pac-12 football, if you're a fan of football, this is a good thing that you see, right, Tom, that both USC and UC are, are trending upwards undefeated teams. And unfortunately, both of them are leaving the Pac-12. Isn't that right? Yes. 
It's okay. We're watching the two best teams in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah. Washington, Washington is playing and Utah is playing. Yes. By the way, UCLA uh, quarterback Thompson played at Gorman. I don't, I don't know if you knew that, Tommy, or not. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, good transition there, Tim. Yeah. How about UNLV? I thought the line was a little funky today. Uh, you know, UNLV was it was it was a field goal game or less. Um, I didn't understand why UNLV couldn't win this game. Before the year, I thought that this could be a trip-up game. I actually had them slated as a loss. This past week, I'm going, why would UNLV not win this game? Utah State has looked absolutely dreadful. They go out there. Look, you can't be overly excited about a 10-point win, but I think it was a nice, solid win. UNLV got the lead. They ran the ball effectively. Robbins, let's calm down with the Robbins love, by the way. Everybody's going crazy. Guy had 28 (laughs) carries. Yeah. Okay, which is a lot of carries. Oh, you got 81 yards. You have 28 carries. Okay, but I like that they were able to close out the game, Tim. I like the fact that now we have watched in the UNLV short history of this year, in 2022, this is a team that can run the ball effectively at the end of the game. And in the third and fourth quarters, they are playing well. They're playing really well in the second half. That's something we have not seen in UNLV for like a decade. He. Yes, on the Robbins thing first, you're right. Calm down. He averaged two yards a carry. That's effective. And if we read Twitter, Tom, put UNLV right there in the end of, of college football right now. That That's the way that everybody's feeling about the Rebels 34-20. They're excited, Tom. They got three wins. Let's take a look at the quadrant, though. We talked about the first four games in the preview. We talked about the first four games again after that win in week one against Idaho State. They're 3-1. and one. So that was the best-case scenario for UNLV was to be 3-1. and one. I didn't think they would be there. We know that. You didn't think they would be there. 2-2, two and two, yeah, that seemed normal, especially with, um, we, you know, we gave them a loss to Cal initially, and then we looked at these last two games, Utah State and North Texas, where I had a loss at North Texas. So two and two would have been great. One and three would have been disaster, I guess you could put. So they're they're sitting pretty, Tom, no doubt about it. Three and one. New Mexico on deck next week at home. I mean, Tom, they may be four and one with a San Jose State game coming up in two weeks' time. They could be. And I'm not going to be shocked about it. Remember what we talked about, Tim. Re- remember, when we looked at the schedule, okay, we said, you know what? They're a four-win team. I had them. You had them as a four-win team. I had them as a five-win team. We said, look, if everything breaks right, they might get six. And people looking at them going, well, they could be eight. Well, but here's the problem. We looked at the schedule, and we said, unabashedly, they are not beating Air Force. They're not beating Notre Dame. They're not beating San Diego State. They're not beating Fresno State, right? Yeah. Those four games, we said they are losing those four games. So in order to get to a, a, a real good number, okay, which is like the seven mark, they'd have to win every other game outside of Cal. Can they beat San Jose State? You know, you can beat New Mexico. Can you beat San Jose State? Because if you don't, your high watermark remains at six. You're not beating the big boys. And that is where we have to kind of take this back. You get a six-win season, guys, out of UNLV, enjoy it. That is everything that you want is a six-win season would be fantastic. I'm still hearing people say eight wins. 
you're not beating Air Force, Notre Dame, San Diego State, or Fresno State. You're not beating them. And I don't know if you're beating San Jose State. I don't know if you're beating New Mexico. We were not crazy. They said two and two. You said two and two. I said two and two after the first four. Okay. But I'm able to readjust. Going into this game, we talked about it last week. I said, you don't know if he's going to win the game. I don't think anybody is doubting that. Going into New Mexico, now I thought that they would beat New Mexico and lose to Utah State. Here's the thing, Tim. If they go four and one, now all of a sudden, you can dream about a postseason berth. You can dream about six wins. But if New Mexico, if they lose to New Mexico, aren't we right back where we started? Right. Right? I mean, aren't we right back in that same spot? And then that San Jose State game becomes almost a must win, which, by the way, I kind of think it is anyway. Because if they don't beat San Jose State, you're looking at a five-week stretch where they could go 0-5. Right. And that's exactly what we discussed. Go back on the in the archives and listen to the show. You and I both had Utah State and New Mexico kind of flip-flopped. And this is a game where, Tom, historically, uh, a game that where Rebel fans thought they should win a game, they lose a game. And, and they have to be very prepared. It's a home game. New Mexico stinks. But they can think that, you know, they could sneak up and surprise them. And then exactly what you said, where does that put them at that point? And say they go on that five-game losing streak, at that point, the whole momentum, the whole uh, attitude of the team has completely changed, and that's where they could pull up lame against teams like Hawaii and Nevada. But let's not just dismiss New Mexico. I know they're not a great team, right? But they did beat UTEP, who's a solid ball club. They played well with Boise State, um, and, and they lost They lost to LSU. In LSU, I mean, it, are we really upset about that? That Boise State game, Tim, yeah, it was 10 nothing at the half. I, they were right there. So I'm not just breezing over New Mexico. If they get that win, it's a nice, solid win for UNLV. I think they will be favored. I think they should win that game. I think it's the San Jose State. that all. So that, that's the game that all of a sudden makes them a contender or a pretender to me. San Jose State has come out here. You know They played well against Auburn. They beat Portland State. They're playing Western Michigan right now. Uh, or they, they played Western Michigan. They're, they're up 31-6. So they'll have a good record. I don't know if they win that game. And if you lose to San Jose State UNLV, even if you're 4-1, it could spiral you down into that Hawaii game right around Thanksgiving, right, November 19th. So you can have a month plus of no wins if you lose that San Jose State game. Win, first of all, win the game in front of you. you got to win this New Mexico game. And I think they will, Tim. But that, New Mar- that San Jose State game is absolutely crucial. That'll be Friday Night Lights next week at Elysian Stadium. Kickoff 8 o'clock here in Las Vegas. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, he sports. We come back from the break. Going to talk a little bit of baseball. Some big things happened in the last couple days. We'll break that down with Tommy on the other side of timeout. Stay tuned. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. <laughs> Time to talk a little Major League Baseball, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Tim and Tom. Programming note tomorrow night, we will not be on, unfortunately. Some team called the Vegas Golden Knights, Tommy, will be in action and bump from our usual Sunday night time slot. So 
that that just tells me, Tom, that something that you did very well in last year, NHL hockey, is right here, right now. Yeah, it, it's been two years running now that I just, um, I mean, I can't explain it to him. I just, you know how sometimes players get in a zone. I am not a huge hockey better. I took years off. You remember that, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I was hitting barely over 50%, was not making a, a profit, I was scraping by and, I said, you know, I'm going to take a step back from hockey. I don't love it. I took about, what, what did I take, four years off, went back into it, and I have absolutely dominated, dominated in the NHL. It's, it's unbelievable. There are just certain spots that Vegas is just missing. There are just certain spots that the lines makers just flat out just are overseeing. Rest, um, travel, things like that are just so much different now than they ever have been. And it feels it feels almost too easy. Now, look, some of them are big favorites. I'm not going to lie; they are. Um, and uh, you, you can look at that and say, "Yeah, that." Listen, 72 percent last year. That's not throwing out a percentage number just for that. Look, I didn't I didn't even play 50 games last year. Okay, but go check out my record. That's what I've done. That right there is just salivating to me to wait to get. I used to be like that about college basketball. I used to be like, "Okay, here we go." College basketball is coming because I love making money on college basketball, on the underrated teams, the teams that are on like a Tuesday night that no one's ever heard of, and I got to call up the school to get the feed and stuff like that. I used to love that. Hockey's almost exactly what it's been for two years now where I'm going, oh, I'm salivating to get some hockey. Well, we're going to talk some baseball here to close out hour number one, get you ready for NFL Week 3 and Hour 2. A couple things happened this week in baseball, Tom. Do you, I'll let you start. Where do you want to go? Do you want to go uh, Yankee? Or do you want to go – actually, the other one, I guess, kind of involves a Yankee too. Yeah, well, let's let's go to Albert Pujols. I mean, he's the one that has done it now, right, as opposed to we're sitting around waiting for Aaron Judge to do it, which he will. Um, you know, let's go to Albert Pujols because I'm friends with a lot of guys in St. Louis, and uh, you just joined our, our fantasy league. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of guys in St. Louis, and we've been chattering back and forth on the app, and I'm giving them a hard time because I'm saying, ah, you know what? Yeah, Albert didn't really do it. Uh, but the reality is, guys, and I'm not going to Jack Clark this so I hear from Albert's lawyers, but, I mean, does anybody really sit back and think that this is just all by coincidence? Does anybody think that Albert Pauls toiled away for the last five years and then in like a month and a half all of a sudden became the Albert Pauls of old? This is the same guy that lied about his age. This is the same guy that had Mitchell Report rumors before the Mitchell Report came out. This is the same guy that there was rumors that, you know, maybe he wasn't doing things 100% clean when he was in the minor leagues. This is the same guy that Jack Clark accused of maybe not doing some some things all that simple. This is the same guy that was, like, bald at, like, 25, which we actually know was, like, 35. I mean, look, he's got a history of accusations, but he also has a history that we know he lied to get to the major leagues. I, I don't know. It's not as glorious to me as everybody's making it out to seem. Maybe I'm still burned from all the nonsense that went on for the steroid era. And I will admit, it really, really, really bothered me because it's a game I love so much. I'll never get past that. So maybe that's part of it. But, Tim, it, this just didn't hit as hard to me, as I, I guess, as, as it should have as a baseball fan. This is last season, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in the second half, 
his numbers have tripled his first half numbers for the Cardinals. Um, I'm with you, and I'm not. I'm not going to come out on air and say what I think because, like you said, we don't need to be getting in any type of trouble. But I, I just, I just can't. I can't see it being the way it is. I don't. I don't understand. And at his age and his his, his yeah, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. And yeah. to me, it Tim, wasn't. I think you know. I think Jack Clark got in trouble because he said, "I know for a fact oh, okay. that Albert Pauls did whatever." We can say we think whatever we want. You right. know, I, I think opinion, we're okay right. with the lawyers there. Yeah. Uh, look, paint it however you want to paint it. Uh, just it's, for me, it's not not an exciting accomplishment because I don't feel that it was genuine, and that's tr- truly my opinion on that. Um, I was like, oh, he he had seven hundred. Okay, that's kind of how it was for me, man. You know, I heard people saying, "Well, you know, pitchers are grooving them balls," and uh, you know that stuff. I I can get past. I can. I really can. I can get past the grooving of the ball. For a guy and things of that nature, I thought it was cool that he was in the home run derby. I was actually rooting for him in the home run derby. I said, "Okay, give him his moment." You know, the guy's put in his time, uh, but now we're getting into a spot where it's affecting the playoffs, right? It's affecting other teams. What I'm going to be really interested to see is how does Albert Pauls perform in the playoffs, yeah. right? How is Albert, who's red hot right now, the the second hottest hitter uh, on that team after Goldschmidt? Obviously, he's not as good as Arenado. But he's hotter than him. So, how how does he perform in the playoffs? Does he get an every every day at, at bat? Does he do anything in the playoffs? Because it's a little bit different, right? Well, we'll we'll turn the blind eye, get your seven hundred. But teams are not going to do that. Teams aren't grooving you anything. Teams are not happy for you if you're hitting home runs against them in the playoffs. If Albert Ball has a, has a huge playoff, I think it quiets a lot of his critics like me. But right now. I'm looking at this as, okay, it's the victory lap. They're just kind of saying, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care what you do. You know what? You want to shoot up? Shoot up. You know what? Here's a meatball. Go ahead. That's how I feel. And whose spot is he taking in this lineup, Tom? O'Neal's? Yeah, I really don't know. You know, who do you want in the playoffs? I like a Tyler O'Neal maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, O'Neal's, yeah. And he struggled this year. O'Neal struggled this year, but – who do you want in the play? Who do you want in the playoffs? Everybody's gonna say, "Well, we want Albert in there," but I don't. I'm with you. And look, you can. I don't know. It's very frustrating for me, Tom. I'm kind of at a loss of words because uh, I've I've spent the past few days arguing with people that think this is a great accomplishment, and I just I just don't feel that. I mean, like Tim, you're crazy, right? Seven runs. Yes, I I get it. But how many is he hit in the last five? That's where me and you kind of agree. Well, Tim, you know, at the end of the day, I put this on Twitter, and people were not exactly happy about it. At the end of the day, there's two clean people with 700 home runs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to say how many people are in the 700 home run club that didn't use amphetamines, well, there's only one. It's only Babe Ruth. Hank Aaron admitted that he did it. So, I mean, if you really want to go down that path, that's the problem with unpeeling something. Well, is HGH the same as, you know, whatever Albert might be taking? No, it's not. HGH is worse, but okay. Well, you know what? Whatever he's taking, well, is that worse than amphetamines? And you start to peel that onion back and you just get to a center that you don't like. So for me, it's, it's okay. You know, golf clap. Okay, Albert, nice golf clap. Good job. You know, nice career. 
I want to see what you do in the playoffs. I want to see if your team has confidence in you in the playoffs. I want to see if these guys pitch around. Are they afraid of you in the playoffs? Or or do pitchers around the league know, yeah, you know what, this was Albert's final final kind of go around, so we're going to be nice to him. And then they're going to challenge you. I think the playoffs are everything, Tim. I was kind of offended, Tom. You left off one of my favorite players from that that seven hundred club. Barry would didn't make your list for some reason, man. Yeah, Barry's not even not even there. And guess what? Neither did Albert. <laughs> Barry's clearly not there. Okay. <laughs> Barry Bonds. I love people going. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer, you know, before steroids. You know what? He was. Barry Bonds was never talked about of the top 10 greatest players of all time. Barry Bonds barely hit 300 with his ridiculous, unbelievable 40-plus-year-old kind of numbers. I mean, look, guy was a solid baseball player, one of the better baseball players we've ever seen. But when you're comparing him to the greats of all time, first of all, he's erased out of the record book just like A-Rod. But second of all, come on, he can't stand up to the greats of the greats. It's not even close. Tom, would you rather have Alroyd or Aroid? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, look, I like I I actually like Pools. You know, I really do. I like him, but I think that we we have to be genuine here. You know, I don't mind what like I said, I don't mind that he's doing it. But I I, I just I'm a historian and I go, "Come on, guys." You know, the thing is you go too far. People going, hey, you got 700 home runs. You know what? Nice job, Albert. That's great. Outstanding. And then I hear, greatest right-hand hitter of all time. Okay. Calm down. Oh, come on. He, he, he's better than Babe Ruth. Oh, my God. What are we doing here? Albert Pohl's top 10 player of all time. What are we doing? You know, it starts to spiral, and it makes me turn on these guys. Mm-hmm. I like Albert Pohl's, but the, the fervor over what he did made me turn on him. Well, let's talk about a clean guy. Talk about all rise, Tom. Mr. Judge has entered the courtroom. Yeah, now here's a guy that if he did steroids, he might hit the ball 600 feet, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, if you're not watching him every day, uh, it, it really is a detriment to what you're doing. He's now, what, one percentage point behind the Triple Crown. This is one of the greatest historic seasons we've ever seen. Forget about the Otani book. That was shut a long time ago. Anybody out there right now that thinks Otani should get even one vote for MVP, you're not a baseball fan. Turn off the TV. Never watch it again. The, the end. Aaron Judge is having the greatest season of a center fielder of all time. Aaron Judge is having the greatest season of a leadoff hitter of all time. Aaron Judge is having one of the greatest seasons ever of all time. Now, he's going to hit 61. And I'll give it to, uh, to Nick Pavetta today. He came after him. He was not walking around him like uh, some of these other guys have. He'll get to 61. He'll get to 62. And I think he probably ends at about 64, 65, uh, because the Yankees aren't going to need him to just continue to pile on those stats. But it, it really is a true accomplishment. If this is the kind of talent, though, that we watched and said, if he ever stays healthy. And it's not just Aaron Judge, Tim, because you look at Mike Trout and say almost the same thing. Mike Trout missed 40 games this year. is going to finish, what, second or third in the American League in home runs. It's staying healthy. Aaron Judge is a guy that you have to look at his entire complete package. Everyone's going to talk about the home runs. And the home runs are absolutely the thing that has everybody talking. Everyone in sports, this is the number one story. 
Forget about the Albert Paul stuff, which was nice. No, no, no. They were interrupting on the ACC network. They were interrupting a football game today to live cut in to Albert Paul. They did the same thing on ESPN as well. Live, I, I, I live cut into Aaron Judge. That's the kind of fervor that he is. And you know, there is something there. There's something there that we know Albert Bowles may have questions behind him. There's no question behind Judge. And a lot of people like me call me the old man, call me the guy, you know, shaking his fist at the cloud. I'm the guy that spends money on the sport. And I'm the guy that sits back and says, not as a Yankee fan, as a sports fan, I know that record's tainted. That record feels tainted. It's been tainted. It bothers me that it's tainted. Now we have a chance to set the record right. Right now, Aaron Judge is tied for the all-time home run record. Sorry, Roger Maris, but the all-time home run record is still Babe Ruth's. And it still will be Babe Ruth for another three days until Aaron Judge breaks it. And when he does, it will be more historic than I think we realize. I don't think we're going to realize the impact of today as we will 10 years from now, 15 years from now. I talked to you. I said, I went to Cooperstown this year with my family. You know, and you walk in and you, you, you look at some of the plaques and, you know, you look at a guy like, like a David Ortiz and who's that? Well, he, he's a cheater. Right. Eventually, Bond's going to get in. That guy's a cheater. I'm going to be able to be proud to say, no, we watched Aaron Judge. We watched him do it the right way. And maybe Aaron Judge is going to leave town, not be a New York Yankee. doesn't matter. Enjoy this while it is. Not only is this the best home run season of all time, and it's going to be in a couple of days, he's got a chance at a triple crown. The guy's playing gold glove defense as a center fielder, and he's six foot eight, and he's a leadoff hitter. We've just never seen anything like this before, Tim. Tom, get get the family together tomorrow night, Sunday night baseball, Boston, New York. He breaks the record in the top of the first off rookie pitcher Branyan Bello. And uh, that's that's what I'm calling the shot now. I'm calling it. Tomorrow night on Sunday night baseball. Can you believe the betting odds? It was only plus 220 today to hit a home run. Do you know how ridiculous that is? <laughs> it was only plus 220. Yeah, you, you know, the, the thing is with Bellow, you got to think he's a young guy, Yankee Stadium, national TV, Aaron Judge coming up. Do you even challenge him? Do you even give him something to hit? And even if you wanted to, can you hit the strike zone? I think it's going to be as amped up as a playoff game for this kid. I don't know if he gives him a strike tomorrow because – not because he's pitching around him, which I think there's, there'll be a little bit of that, but because, you know what? Why? How is he going to get it over? I think his nerves are going to be shot. Tomorrow night, the Yankees are a great bet because I think that this kid's going to be rattled. Yeah, that could happen. He could he could walk him. Um, he could give, like you said, nothing to hit, or he could just put a meatball right there, and it goes, you know. So. Tim, am I crazy to think? Just as a bait, because I know you're a baseball, baseball, baseball fan, right? Like me. Am I crazy to, to as a Yankee fan, I don't want the home run record as much as I want the triple crown. Right. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm in that position. To me, the home rec- run record, you know, he's gotten there. If he, if he doesn't hit another one, 60 is still 60. But I want that triple crown. To be able to hit the triple crown, during a time where they're pitching around you, which you've watched it over the last couple of games, and still be able to go two for three and still be able to get hits. He took walks today. You're able to get the triple crown and you're able to get the batting title in the same year you hit 60. 
I mean, that is literally stuff of Ruth. You can look back at Roger Maris. He had a good season that season, right? Uh, but it wasn't Ruthian. It, it was for the home run, but nothing else. So that, for me, means almost more. That, for me, is one of those spots where you go, I, I want that a little bit more. In 1961, okay, when uh, he had 61, he led the league in runs and RBIs as well. Uh, Roger Maris batted 269, right? Which you, you get it. There's movies about him losing his hair and everything else and all of that. When Babe Ruth went out there and he had 60 home runs, he hit 356. This is the stuff of Ruth. It's not 356, but it's the stuff of Ruth if he's able to win the batting title as well. Did Ruth win a triple crown? They didn't give them back then, um, but no, I don't think he ever did. You know why? <laughs> Babe Ruth is a top five guy all time, Tim, yeah. um, in in uh, batting average, right? I mean, for his career, he's a three forty two average. Average. He only led the league one time in batting average, and that year he didn't lead it in RBIs. So he led the league in runs, home runs. Walks, 378 batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, OPS plus, didn't lead the league in RBIs because there's a guy named Garrett Brown. Heat Wave Sports on Chris Wynn chimes in via the text, Tommy. Uh, stop, leave us Tiger fans alone. Obviously, he's referring to Mickey Cabrera's last one to do it back in 2012. When, Sorry, when Cabrera did it, he should have won the MVP. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that was a trout year, wasn't it? Yes. This was a trout year, yeah. Sorry, Chris. It, it might happen, my, my man. It might happen. <laughs> Tim, how about this? You, you want a, a great um, way to kind of close out this first hour here? I, I, I saw the two quotes after they hit 60 home runs. And it just shows you, look, it's the personality of the player, which you got to love both personalities, but it's also the, the sign of the times. Aaron Judge is obviously being coached, right? He's probably got a team of guys telling him what to say so his market goes up. Babe Ruth had none of that. So after Aaron Judge hit 60 home runs, he said, yeah, I just want to thank the team, the fans. This is a great city to do it in. Um, I'm hoping that we can continue to win. I just want to keep putting up wins. But I, I thank my teammates and my fans. After Babe Ruth hit a 60th home run, you know what he said? I want to see another son of a you-know-what go out there and beat that. <laughs> just, just the difference in personality is fantastic. I thought you were going to say after Babe Ruth hit his 60s, he was going to say, where's dinner? Hey, listen, you know, that's one of the falsehoods. I, I've spoken to uh, Jane Levy, who wrote the book on Babe Ruth, literally, and it is one of the biggest falsehoods. Babe Ruth was an in-shape dude, man. He is one of the best in-shape athletes at the time. Uh, he used to be a an absolute workout warrior, just later on in his life, he got you know, got a little fat, like like most of us did. Yeah, Elvis did the same thing, right, Tom? I mean, listen, Pools went bald. So, <laughs> Pools went bald when he was twenty six, though. That doesn't. I mean, I I, I'm not he... saying why, Tim, but I, oh. I hear that HGH does that. I, All I right. Know. All right. <laughs> Hour one is done. Hour two, it's all about the NFL. Week three, free picks. Loaded hour coming up. Please, please stay tuned because it's going to be a fun hour too, Tom. Heatweb Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Are you ready?
back to Heatwave Sports. Here we go, week three, National Football League preview. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heatwave Sports, every Saturday and Sunday night at 10 o'clock, except for 10 o'clock. We are bumped, Vegas Golden Knight preseason hockey as they take on the defending champion Colorado Avalanche starting the 2022-23 NHL season. But we'll be back again next week, of course, here on Fox Sports Radio. And Tom, once again, we look at an interesting card this week, and we'll just kind of move around. I'm not going to go in any specific order here, but um, after last so what a tale of two weeks, right? When, when we look at the NFL season, when, when you look at, I guess, last week with all these games that just had incredible comebacks and, and people tearing up surefire winning tickets in the sports book and throwing them on the ground, you know, how do you bounce back, Tom, when that is that I think the, the, the standard formula would be like, look, a lot of those games you handicapped correctly, it just didn't work out reason you just you can't let things like that bother you right every week's a clean slate yeah i mean look you're gonna have up and down weeks um most people in this business are going to be slaughtered here in the first two weeks the first week of the season i you asked me so i asked a couple of sports book, you know sports book directors and they said it was one of the best opening weeks they've ever had now you know maybe me and you didn't feel it because we're usually on the sports book sides right mm-hmm. i went four and oh um but most people are getting crushed the first two weeks. What I think you need to do is you need to kind of stay, take a step back and just say, all right, what has worked for me in the past? What is working for me? And stick with the formula, right? You got to stick with what you know. I always tell people, if you're in a bad way, you have to, instead of increasing your bets, because that, that's what everybody tries to do. It's trying to chase, try to play more things, try to, to say, well, you know what? I usually only play five or six games. I'm going to play 10 games. You know, because the games I left off my card won. That's always the mentality. No, no, no. I suggest playing, doing it the other way. Pulling back. If you're a guy that plays five or six games, play two. Play two tomorrow. You know, just kind of play it like that. We have a long, it seems like it's short. But before the playoffs, we have 18 weeks. We have 16 weeks left. No reason you have to go chasing. No reason. If you got crushed, reassess your, your situation. The big thing that you need to do is stop thinking about 2021. And so many people in this business, when they're getting into sports betting, they look at 2021. Well, this team wasn't that bad last year. Who cares? Believe your eyes. Don't overreact. And I did a video on this at YouTube at Tom Barton Sports. Don't overreact, but trust your eyes. Trust what you're watching. Maybe you thought Nathaniel Hackett was going to be the guy, right? He was going to come in and be awesome. Trust the fact that this guy is a bumbling clown. Okay, trust that. Maybe you believe that the Detroit Lions were going to have a rough go of it on offense. Trust that Jared Goff looks good. Trust that they have an offense. You know, there are certain things that just trust your eyes at this point. Tommy, nobody thought Nathaniel Hackett was going to be the guy. Nobody did. (laughs) You know, you can say that, though, Tim, and I know you're, you're half kidding. But how many people picked Denver to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, a lot you're of right. people. You're right. You know, a lot of people had them winning the division, go to a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson winning an MVP. And I was like, what are we doing here? You know, they, they still have a bumbling idiot for a coach. Right. The clown car was uh, back last Sunday. 
Denver in Denver against Houston, but whatever it is, whatever it is, they won the game and we move on to week three. But so let, let's get going. We'll start um, tonight. I'm going to use the lines from DraftKings, Tom. So uh, something you're familiar with here. We'll go to South Beach to open this one up for week three. First place on the line in the AFC East as Buffalo will travel to Miami. Game open five and a half. We're at four and a half right now. Fifty-three and a half the total. Uh, man, you know, Miami, the incredible comeback last week against the Ravens. Buffalo, just a complete day, just lambasted Tennessee there on Monday Night Football. Four and a half, though, your thoughts on this game? This is a game of the day uh, by far, but here we go, Tim. The overreaction does worry me a little. The Dolphins came back from 21 points to win in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Dolphins were also getting spanked by 21 points going into the fourth quarter, right? I mean, you have to have both. The end result doesn't mean that the Dolphins played a good game. The end result, getting a win, doesn't mean that you feel good and all happy about the Dolphins. Now, the Bills, they played two games. They have not played a bad quarter. I don't know if they played a bad possession. And what they do is they absolutely own this Miami team. The Bills are 3-1-1 one, one against the spread the last five. But Josh Allen dominates this team. In the same respect early on, albeit, that Brady dominates the Bills, Roethlisberger dominated the Browns, Josh Allen has won seven straight games against the Bills. Those seven wins, he's at, they're winning by an average of 19 points per game. He's thrown two or more touchdown passes in every game he's ever played against the Dolphins. By the way, prop play minus 200 for him to throw more than one and a half, right? Allen dominates this team. The Dolphins' defense, they look bad, okay, against the pass. Lamar was able to throw on them. They're giving up a league high nine yards per pass attempt, 71% completion percentage, and, and here comes Josh Allen. So all these people loving on the Dolphins, and I get it. The Dolphins are tough. The Dolphins are at home. The Dolphins have two guys that could explode out there. Uh, Micah Hyde is down. A couple of – we watched Williams get carted off. A couple of the defensive players of the Bills are down. All of that being said – I can't overlook the fact that the Dolphins can't stop the pass. And Josh Allen is playing at the best level of any player in the NFL right now, and he's been doing it for a long time. The Bills have scored 27 or more points in nine straight games and 30 or more points in four straight games. I just don't see them slowing them down. The total set at 53 for a reason here, Tim. Bills are getting to 30, 35, maybe 40. Can the Dolphins keep pace? Chris Wynn chimed in earlier about, about the height injury in that secondary, and, and you look at Buffalo, Tommy, in the last, I want to say they, they went back 20 games where there hasn't been a, t a long bomb touchdown pass given up against the secondary, which two had two against Baltimore last week. So something has to give somewhere. And um, But two had I'm, two against Baltimore when the Ravens' uh, defensive backs were banged up and going down. Correct. Right. I mean, that well, what are you doing? What are you? Everybody looks at the fourth quarter, and I get it was a nice fourth quarter comeback. That's so nearsighted, though, Tim. What do they do for the first three quarters? They got their butts beat up and down the field. Right, right. Does that injury bother you long term, though, for Buffalo? It, it does, and it doesn't. Look, I think that one of their big key attributes, and I wrote this to you guys, is the fact that they have Poyer and White and and Hyde. Um, but they've been doing this. What we've watched the first two weeks. Number 17 points per game, the number one defense in the league. They've been doing this without Tredavious White, who might be a top five cornerback. So they're going to get White back, and they're going to lose Hyde. 
I don't know. I think it's kind of one-off. So long-term, you don't want to lose Hyde, but I think they're going to be okay. Kansas City will be on the road in this Week 3 matchup at Indianapolis. Tom, in this game, Chiefs open 6.5 at 5.5. 50.5 is the total. A lot of people, I had a guy at my job. First thing he said to me when he saw me on Wednesday was, what's up with that Kansas City line? And we, we always talk about the games where the lines just don't sit right with us, right, Tom? Pittsburgh, perfect example in week two. When you saw this line and you saw the Chiefs just a, uh, well, it was, like I said, it was 6.5, now it's down to 5.5, so it's going the other way. Your thoughts on this? They're 2-0. and The Colts are 0-1-1. and They have a, the, the ugly stepsister tie and then just completely embarrassed last week by Jacksonville, yet the line's going another way. Um, where's the reaction on this one? I think that this is a lot of these people are banking on the fact that they chose Indianapolis to win this division. A lot of these people chose Indianapolis to go deep into the playoffs, and they're just saying, look, I can't see 0-3. I mean, that that's what we just talked about two minutes ago here, Tim. That's what I was de- deal- dealing with. Don't act like this is in August still. We have two games worth of film to look at what we're doing. But you can also look at this and say, hold on a second. Um, Darius Shaquille Leonard might be back for this game. That's a big addition. Jonathan Taylor will have some running success. Kansas City's not great against the run. And Patrick Mahomes, in two career games against Indianapolis, this is including the playoffs, he's got one touchdown passes, and he's taken eight sacks. So there are some things here that might say Indy. Back against the wall, you lose this game. Basically, your playoff hopes are done. They all Indy always seems to start poorly and then kind of catch fire. And I think that people are looking at this and going, look, I, I like Kansas City, but it is a road game against a wounded dog, and I'm going to take my final shot with the team that I picked to win the division. Now, I didn't pick them to win the division, so I'm not thinking like that, but I think that that's the mentality here. Andy Reid wins 65% of his games on the road against the spread as the coach in Kansas City. I don't know. Like, I get it. I I know Indianapolis could all of a sudden have the game of the year for them, Tom, but you have to think that the total may be the way to go here if you're if you're liking the aspect that you think the Colts can somehow find a way to not but stay in the game. You have to think the Chiefs are going to score at least 28 points, right? Yeah, look, the over in the last 18 Chiefs road games is 11 and 7. So, it's I mean, it's there. I just think that if the problem I have with this total Tim, and I don't want to talk you off of it, okay? Mm-hmm. But the problem I have with it is if the Colts have a chance to win, they're running thing Jonathan. They're running Jonathan Taylor all day. Right? I mean, if they have a chance to win, keeping Mahomes on the sidelines, running Jonathan Taylor into the ground, which they have not done the first two games. I could see him getting 25, 26, 27 carries tomorrow just to slow this game down. That would bother me. Houston at Chicago. The Bears open three. It's still 339 the total. Tom, the Bears. One and one, win home against San Francisco, loss at Green Bay, the Texans, the tie with the Colts, and then last week, just a horrendous football game altogether at Denver. The experts, Tommy, the experts that I see think Texans will get their first win of the year tomorrow. I I just don't see how a team that barely can average 10 points a game 
is going to wake up and score here. I, I like Chicago tomorrow, and that's not just because that's your team, my friend. Well, listen, here's the thing. There are so much anti-Bears hate going on in the betting community from their season win total crashing and falling uh, to people just – I had an argument with, with, with a complete knucklehead on Twitter who was trying to convince me that the guy that made second-team All-Pro, Robert Quinn, last year – is a below-average player. I mean, that this is how people are looking at this team. Roquan Smith is still one of the top middle linebackers in the game, although he's not having a great season. Still one of the top middle linebackers in the game. Uh, Robert Quinn, look, made all-pro second team last year. I like this defensive secondary. Brisker has looked good. Uh, the fill-in for Fuller has looked good. Jackson's always pretty good. I think they have some talent on defense, Tim. And like you said, the Texans are having all sorts of problems. Yes, their defense looks better. And Lovey Smith is coming back to Chicago. And that's got to mean something. But imagine Justin Fields scores that touchdown, which he clearly did, by the way. But you're never going to get that call, even with replay at Lambeau, primetime against Aaron Rodgers. But if they score that touchdown, Tim, it's a three-point game, and it's anyone's game at that point. Maybe we think of the Bears a little bit differently. That score was not indicative of how the game was played. The Bears have a system right now. I don't agree with it. Justin Fields, 17 attempts, okay, in the weather conditions. I could forgive 11 attempts after that last week in Green Bay. I can't forgive. But they have a system. We're going to run it. We're going to eat a lot of clock. We're going to play very close to the vest. And we think our defense can win. I look at that as a system that the Texans can't stand. The Texans don't want that. Because when that starts to happen, this team is not looking. has not looked good. Look. Houston, by all accounts, beat up on Denver, but they lost the game, right? They held Denver to 16 points, lost the game. I have a similar feeling about this game. I'm not taking this one, okay? But I have a similar feeling that the Bears could squeak out of here 17-14 and everyone go, oh, man, you know what? Houston owned that game. But the Bears are playing a unique style of football, which is real tight to the vest. When you have, though, talent in Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, who are – offensively struggling, but you just said why. The game plan is completely different. And you have a firecracker like Justin Fields that is he's a bundle of energy waiting to explode, Tom. Why why are they going this route with I, I get it. Montgomery, let's let's feed him the ball. He he's the better better guy tomorrow, I think, to be able to expose Houston's line. But you have offensive guys there, Tom, that can put up numbers. I mean you gotta open that playbook up a little bit. Well look, I, I'm not trying to make any excuses, but I'm going to give you the side since you asked me. Uh, game one was a monsoon. Why am I going to let my quarterback throw it in that kind of weather? They didn't, and they won the game. That was smart. And then you're going up against, if, if for anything for the Packers, we all talk about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. Let's get into the fact that they have one of the best secondaries in the league, right? So if we can play this game and run the ball, if you looked at going into last week, David Montgomery – Absolutely had massive, massive success against Green Bay for the last two years running the ball, over 70 yards per game running the ball on average. So why would I let him throw it against? Why would I let Justin Fields throw it in a monsoon or against a really good defensive backfield when I feel like I can run the ball? And that was their philosophy. Here's the week, though, Tim, because the the Houston Texans do not have a good secondary. I mean, this kid, Derek Stingley, looks like a player, but they don't have a good secondary. And this is the, the spot. If they don't let Justin Fields open it up, I told you. I, I might be putting on my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory here. 
But I don't think that they want Justin Fields to succeed. Remember, new GM, he didn't draft Fields. New head coach, didn't draft Fields. Quarterback coach, all of it. Nobody drafted Justin Fields here. They were handed Justin Fields. Maybe, maybe they don't want him to succeed because they don't want him to be the guy if we don't see them opening up tomorrow. I think Komet has to be involved. I think Mooney has to be involved. And the way that you have to attack this Houston team is you've got to go downfield. NFC South divisional game here, Tom. New Orleans at Carolina. The Saints won and won. The Panthers have not won a game yet this season. And um, Baker Mayfield has been picking himself off the ground a lot here in the first two weeks. Sacked six times. Tommy Jameis wins to throw 50 interceptions this year. That seems about normal for him. The Saints, two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Yeah, look, your automatic assumption here is, okay, well, the Saints, right? The Saints look good. We don't know about Kamara. Like you said, Winston's already got three picks. He has not looked good. And the underdog in this series is 12-4 and against the spread. You're giving Carolina points here. Carolina's defense has played well. Burns has played well. Chin has played well. They have put themselves in a position to win. McCaffrey has just gone absent. And McCaffrey's a guy that needs to step up here. If they have any chance in this game, it's got to be McCaffrey. Baker Mayfield's getting sacked. The offensive line doesn't look good. But somehow or another, Caroline is in every single game. They're 0-2. They lost by a combined five points, Tim. Mm-hmm. I would hate to lay three points to a team that has lost two games by five points in their stadium. I like the, I like what we always talk about, Tom. I like the division uh, division rivalry, home team getting points. I mean, uh, usually more times than not, we're on that successful side. And 67% of the people love the Saints. I like the Panthers. Give me the Panthers in a close one, Tom. You said it. They've lost both games, combined five points. I could see the Panthers somehow winning this game 21-17. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a low-scoring game, and I think they yeah, yeah, 21-20. Yeah, something like that. I could see them pulling it out. Baker Mayfield being a hero. Let's stay with division rivalries. How about the North, NFC North, Detroit, 1-1, one one. Minnesota, 1-1. One one. Uh, Got to think that some points are going to be scored in this game tomorrow, Tom, as we look at. DraftKings says Minnesota, six-point favorite, the total 52-and-a-half. Yeah, the last five games these guys co- uh, combined for 49 points per game on average, so it's right there, right? And you look at the Vikings. Um the Vikings have to start converting inside the red zone. They've made seven trips to the red zone. They've only converted 28%. They are still scoring, but that's all they're doing. The Lions rushing offense, by the way, NFLI, 7.2 yards per carry. And you expect the Vikings defense to be better against the run. They're not. They're fifth highest rate in the NFL. So they're going to be able to run if they decide to run. It doesn't look like this team wants to run. They want to throw, throw, throw. The Lions have passed 35 points back-to-back games. So it's the first time since 2011. And you look last year, the Vikings won 19-17, and then the Lions won 29-27. I'm looking at one of those things. Look, Jared Goff looks better. He looks comfortable. St. Brown looks comfortable. I know that you have to come with a a dose of Swift. And the same thing with Dalvin Cook. Look, he's averaging 5.5 targets per game out of the backfield. They're using him in different ways. He hasn't had his big rushing game either. So there's a lot to be said that both of these teams can keep it on the ground. 
I don't think either one of them will. I think that you look at the Detroit secondary and Justin Jefferson is drooling tonight. I don't know if he's going to get any sleep because the Detroit secondary is pathetic and the Viking secondary is not all that much better. So I think Goff has a big day. I think Cousins bounces back after the primetime game. This has shootout written all over it. Everyone's on the Lions. Everybody's back on the Lions here. I could see the Vikings having a get-right game. I think the Lions will play close, like they always do. But that late touchdown worries me about laying it with uh, or taking it with the Lions. The Lions, it's funny, right, Tom? That I think every week everybody's been on the Lions, and we we attribute a lot of that to <clears throat> the the TV show that we got to see the personalities. And, and yet, you know, last week everybody was on the Lions. They ended up finding a way to win that game, Tom. But what I see is, you said it, the defense is a sieve. And if you think Dalvin Cook's going to have just 17 yards rushing, uh, don't bet on that. You know, Minnesota's opening it up. They had a, they played terrible, absolutely terrible against Philadelphia on Monday night. And now they're home against a team that gives up points plenty. I love Minnesota tomorrow. And like you said, I love the over even more. Dalvin Cook over 78 and a half yards rushing, Tim. I would assume that he can get there. He had, what, 90 in week one? So I, th- I think I would – it probably won't be a play for me, Tom, but I would lean there. That he'd, get, he'd get to 80-plus. So That makes sense, right? Yeah. Since we're talking divisional rivalries, Tom, let's, let's keep it going here. Philadelphia at Washington. The Eagles impressive on Monday night against Minnesota. Line opened five. It's up to six and a half now, 47 and a half the total. No one's talking about the Carson Wentz revenge game. I'm not making fun of it. They really aren't. No one's talking about this. I think Carson Wentz wants this game, and he wants it badly. I really do. This is a game at home. This is the organization that sort of threw him away, right, and started his, in his mind, the reeling downhill. Um, Look, it's division rivals. Philly has not been able to solve Washington. 0-3-1 against the spread over the last two years. The home team is 3-0-1 against the spread. Washington is 4-1-1 in the last six games after a loss. There's a lot of things to go for Washington here. You have a huge Monday night win, short week, going on the road and giving points to a division rival. I hate the Eagles here. I can't stand them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. But I also had the over last week between Washington and the Lions, so I watched that game pretty intently. Washington didn't score a point before the half. They scored 27 points in the second half against a terrible Lions defense. Why? Because they can throw it all over the place. Washington can throw it all over the place. They have a lot of good receivers. Wentz can get the ball there. But this Eagles defense, you if you get behind 27-0, you're not coming back from it. The Eagles can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They're playing good defense. Eagles are too hot not to take them. But I'm sitting here, and I'm nervous because it is a division rivalry after a huge Monday night game in this spot. This is one of those just stay away from it, run and hide games for professional sports better. Isn't this the the typical overreaction game? What's the last thing we saw? Philadelphia putting up offensive numbers plenty against Washington, or excuse me, against Minnesota. Yeah, against Minnesota, and then Washington last week they lost to the Lions. Tom, that's all people are going to think about, right? Yeah, I think so, and and I think that the market is really going hard after this Philly team. That's what they watched on Monday night. I can't lay the points, but, man, I just can't take Washington because I've watched 
what they did last week against the Lions. Uh, they, Tim, they were lost. They, they couldn't move the ball. They didn't know what they were doing out there until the half. When you look at <clears throat> Washington, just a quick question here for you and your thoughts. You know, they were talking about how Jalen Hurts just did whatever he wanted to do against Minnesota Monday night and that Washington this season so far is dead last in the NFL, allowing almost eight yards per rush. How can they stop Jalen Hurts, Tom, because he presents that dual threat? I would have to think Ron Rivera is used to quarterbacks that run, and there's something he's been able to, to figure out here in the last couple of years with Jalen Hurts. I don't have the stats exactly in front of me, but if I, I'm not of the belief that Jalen Hurts is just going to go out there and do whatever he wants. I, I think Washington has some type of game plan set up. Yeah, I do too. I, I see a lot of people jumping on the over in this one too. I know Washington's defense is bad, but I think there's, there's going to be a lot of running from both teams. Antonio Gibson's a guy that could play a major role in this one also. Bengals trying to become the first team since the 2002 Rams to start 0-3 and after reaching the Super Bowl the previous season. They'll be in your neck of the woods, Tom, New Jersey, to play the Jets 1-1 one one, that come from behind win against the Brownies last week. Basically, the Browns just gave them a win here. So where are we at on this line? It's right now over at DraftKings, Tom. It's the Bengals 6 45 the total and the second straight week Cincinnati will play a backup quarterback Cooper Rush Dallas last week and the the fountain of youth Tom Joe Flacco will be the starter in week three for the Jets like I said the line is 645 the total Joe Flacco has attempted 103 pass attempts for two two games that's the second most from any player since 1970 I mean why why, why what are we doing why what, what is going on um, but the bigger play here is that Joe Burrow, like I predicted, like I told you all, like I said it, Joe Burrow can't stand upright. He was sacked 51 times last season. He took six sacks last week. After two games, Burrow has 13 sacks, four interceptions, lost a fumble. He's averaging four and a half net yards per attempt. He looks terrible. Joe Burrow looks like a fluke. But this is a get-right game, right? Look, they played Dallas and Pittsburgh. Let's be honest. Dallas and Pittsburgh may be the number one and two best pass rushers, uh, pass rushing defenses in the league. You might argue that Micah Parsons and TJ Watt, who was healthy for most of that game, are the two best pass rushers in the league. The Jets, they've given up 54 points in the first two games. Joe Burrow is in a spot where his back is against the wall. This is that 0-3 team. This is a Super Bowl team that had Super Bowl hopes. And you know, the one thing we know about certain players is when they, they kind of get their back against the wall, they come out firing. We talked about it with Baker Mayfield. We've seen it with Aaron Rodgers at times. We've seen it with Tom Brady at times. I think Joe Burrow's that guy. I think Joe Burrow is going, you know what? Forget the whole game plan and forget whatever they want to do. I'm throwing it early. I'm throwing it often. I'm going down for you. I'm winning this game. And I think that Joe Burrow wants to play within himself, but he goes, no, I'm winning this game. The New York Jets are just going to be over their head here. The one thing I will say, though, is that um, their, their interior lineman, Williams, is, Quentin Williams, is a tremendous, tremendous pass rusher for an interior defensive lineman. He can get wreak havoc all day, but he's mispracticed this week. So he's not 100% for the Jets. The Jets can throw their way 
and have some fun against the Bengals. The Bengals have not looked good in New York, but I just think that Joe Burrow has to put this team on his shoulder and has to win this game. If Burrow to chase, we haven't seen it this year too much, right? So I think that that's the big, big contest. Look, Burrow to chase, sitting down, going, we're going to put this team on our backs. And I think that, look, the, the total's 45. I think that we have a high-scoring game because the Bengals are just going to light the Jets up. Tommy, do you know of any good Joe Burrow props for tomorrow? I, I already have them. Uh, I already jumped it. Jumped on it. You're laying one minus one sixty-five to throw two touchdowns. I love it. I love that one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Joe Burrow leads the league in time sacked already. Tom, thirteen. He's been sacked thirteen times through two games. Almost kind of reminiscent of his rookie season where he was just spent most of the year until he was injured uh, on the field, off or getting up off the field. Excuse me. Yeah, 51 times last year, too. And then they yeah. oh, they reinvented the offensive line. It looks exactly the same to me. Baltimore in Foxborough to take on the Pats. Both teams one and one. Of course, it's the last thing we saw. The Ravens, a complete embarrassment in the fourth quarter, losing a, a game that nobody should have lost to Miami last week. And the Ravens coming in on this road matchup. Tom, who will... Look at DraftKings now, two and a half. So two and a half, 44. I've, I've seen three and a half. So I've seen threes. And you can get a two and a half right now. Yeah, look, the Ravens collapsed against the Dolphins. We know that. Um, but they had a 21-point lead against a team that people were going, oh, man, here you go, greatest team ever. Lamar Jackson looked fantastic. Three touchdown passes, uh, ran for almost an 80-yard score as well. They look really good. And, and you look at the Baltimore Ravens and you go, Baltimore <sighs> – through seven quarters, out was outscoring their opponents 59 to 23. And then that ridiculousness happened. I'm not putting so much into that last quarter. I just won't do it, okay? I, I can't just say, oh, here we go. I'm just going to say, well, that one quarter throws away their entire season. But I will say this. Bill Belichick has a history of being able to absolutely struggle uh, or stifle Lamar Jackson and make him struggle. He blitzes Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson cannot handle the blitz, guys. It's one of the problems I had with him coming out of college. And while I, I've gotten warm to Jackson here, he still he still has a 70 passer rating against the blitz last year. It's the fourth lowest in the NFL. Okay? He was terrible against the blitz. Now you know what's going to happen, right? I mean, Belichick's going to bring the kitchen sink from all different kind of areas, and that's what, what they're going to do. The Patriots, by the way, 17-3 and in home openers since 2012. That's continues with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is 15-5 against the spread and 12-8 and as an outright underdog with New England. Dominates as a home underdog. I think that the Patriots are going to come up with something to to make Lamar Jackson struggle. They're going to take Andrews away. They're going to make this team run. And you look at the Patriots' defense, fourth in yards, eighth in yards per play, up against the Ravens. Well, the Ravens, they allow five yards per carry to backs. They're the fifth worst team in the NFL. If this turns into a running game, Tim, where the Ravens have to run with their running backs, not with Jackson, and the Patriots get to run, Patriots are going to win this game. The Ravens can't allow it to get there. Ravens couldn't close out last week because the the rush was so pitiful, and, and you're right about that. But it looks like Dobbins will go tomorrow, Tom. That has to be a shot in the arm. And but he's got to be on a pitch game. I mean, how many carries can you see Dobbins getting tomorrow? 10-10? Ten, ten? Yeah, I guess. I I would well, like you give to see him 12? Them. I don't even know if you give him 12. 
I'd like to see them establish the run, but at the same time, um, if they can expose the Patriots, not necessarily the secondary, I like in that mid-range. And that's where, like you said, Andrews has to be that guy. He can't be taken away from the, the operation. He needs to play like he played in week two, Tommy, not like week one. And, and that's going to say a lot here in, early in the game, I think. You mentioned the Patriots, 17-3 and in home openers since 2002. A guy named Tom Brady, though, was behind center for most of those, Tommy. Yeah, he was. I, I mean, to me, it's it's we know what Belichick's going to do. He's taking away your best weapon. So find the second weapon. He's going to spy on Lamar Jackson, and he's going to take away Mark Andrews. By the way, sportsbooks kind of agree. 55 and a half yards for Mark Andrews. That's all for tomorrow. Who's the second weapon then, Tom? Is it Bateman? Is it Devin Duvernay? It's got to be Bateman. It's got to be Bateman or, like you said, if Dobbins is able to get you know uh, something going. That I think Belichick's daring them to run tomorrow, not with Jackson because they'll spy him. But I think he's daring the running backs to run. I think he's daring them to go inside. We're going to give you the run between the tackles. Let's see what you can do. And what does Harbaugh come up with? That's it. That's what it's going to come down to. Game, game plan, game plan. I like my boys. I think the bounce back happens tomorrow. I like them, but we'll see. That's an early one, 10 o'clock or so. We've, we've run through all of them except for I saved this one for the last. It involves the Raiders at Tennessee. Talk about collapses. The Raiders are right up there in last week with the Ravens. Tom, but just a fourth quarter collapse. The Cardinals beat them 29-23 here in Vegas. Now they hit the road to take on a Tennessee team that was – just as just absolutely pitiful on Monday night against Buffalo. The Raiders, a two-point favorite, 45-and-a-half is the total. Tim, my instinct is Tennessee at home is a better coach team. Tennessee at home backs against the wall. Tennessee is not as bad as we watched on Monday night. Tennessee uh, was leading the Giants for three quarters. Tennessee is going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry, and Tennessee is going to run all over the Raiders. That is that That's my thought process here. But – as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friends. Because in Derrick Henry's three games since he's come back from an injury, Tim, that includes last year's playoff game, right? 54 carries, 169 yards. That's 3.1 yards per carry. That is not the Derrick Henry we're used to. And we look at guys that are built the way Derrick Henry's looked at, and we go, he can't break down. He can't just hit a wall that quickly, but it happens with running backs. I'm not telling you right now that it has happened, but it may have. It may have happened with Derrick Henry. There's a reason why Mike Vrabel, in a game against the Giants, didn't give Derrick Henry 20, 25 carries. Okay? They limited him. There's a reason why last week, in a game where they needed to ride on Derrick Henry, and Vrabel told him, you left meat on the bone in, in game one, and let us all know that he called out Derrick Henry. Still didn't ride him. Well, here it is, guys. If Derrick Henry's back to being Derrick Henry that we know, the Raiders lose this game and they probably lose it handedly. If Derrick Henry's the Derrick Henry that we've seen since the injury, Raiders waltz here. I think with the Raiders, it's who's who's the second guy going to be? Because we know Adams is the guy. But if teams do, do the best job they can, Tom, to, to isolate him and give him – very little. He'll get what he gets because he's talented, but very, you know, he hasn't had an explosive game yet. Jacobs, I guess he did travel to Tennessee today, but he's ill, so we don't know what we're going to expect out of him. Waller, 
I don't know why everybody's such in love with Darren Waller out here other than he goes to the WNBA games. He's not been impressive so far. Who's the second guy? Because Renfro's out now, concussion. That's the problem here is Derek Carr has no other outlets. And all the fans, two games into it, right, Tom? All the fans, well, hell, we got Devontae Adams. Now we're going to the Super Bowl. Doesn't work out that way. And that's exactly what we've been trying to explain to you, that he's a great player that doesn't necessarily translate to wins. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're the Titans, think about if you're the Titans uh, tomorrow. By the way, cornerback Christian Fulton is back for the Titans tomorrow, which is huge. Um, he was missing. If you are the Titans tomorrow, what are you doing? Double, triple, and quadruple teaming Devontae Adams and saying, okay, Derek Carr, find someone else. Right? I mean, find somebody else. Let's see what you got. And that that goes right to your point, Tim. You can neutralize a wide receiver. You can. you got to find that secondary guy, and I don't think they have it. Shift over to the afternoon games, Tom. How about this one? The Battle of the Bays, the Battle of the Old Quarterbacks, Green Bay 1-1, one one, Tampa 2-0, and oh. Brady versus Rodgers. This will be the, the highlighted, I'll put it that way, it'll be the highlighted game uh, nationally. The Bucks open 2.5 down to 1.5, 42 the total, Tom. Here we go. Tim, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time are playing in week three, um, and the total is 42. (laughs) (laughs) Because they don't have anybody to throw to. I mean, Cole Beasley literally is signed this week, put on the main roster. I bet you he leads the the, uh, team in in receptions tomorrow. I really think so. Uh, You look at Green Bay, they're all banged up. They don't have any – there's nobody to throw to for these guys. Mike Evans is suspended. Rodgers is tied for 23rd in pass attempts this year. Both defenses rank in the top 10 in fewest points against and the top 10 in fewest points are allowed. Guys, Brady's 23, Rodgers 25th for total QBR. It's not Brady against Rodgers. This is defense against defense. Even Leonard Fournette is banged up. I can't go anywhere near this game, Tim. I, I just won't. I won't even go deep into handicapping it because there's too many injuries to even give a honest, intelligent assessment. Falcons at Seattle, Atlanta against the Seahawks. Line open two and a half, down to one. So the the Hawks are one forty one and forty two. And who would have thought, right, Tom? When you look at this matchup, we're watching Geno Smith against Marcus Mariota. How about that? Listen, Atlanta's look good. They put up twenty seven on uh, you know Aaron Donald and uh, the defense with Jalen Ramsey last week, right? I mean. You look at what Mariota's been doing. He doesn't have great numbers, but look, he ranks 11th in QBR. He's getting the ball where it needs to be. I kind of like this Atlanta team all of a sudden. London, and they're doing without pits. They're, they're feisty, but they're not talented. Well, Seattle's not talented either, right? I mean, Seattle managed just seven points last week. Um, Seattle looked absolutely out of sorts. There's, they're getting people back, and it doesn't even matter. And Seattle's pass defense, by the way, they're allowing eight yards per attempt, so you could throw on this, but it's the offense. Seattle is bottom four in points, yards, rushing, yards per carry, and red zone. Their red zone efficiency, Tim, 0%. The one thing you could say is that Pete Carroll's 15-4 against the spread in his last 19 games when Russell Wilson is not there. Pete Carroll does well without Russell Wilson, but I can't overlook the Seahawks. Bottom four in points across the board. I just can't go near that. Just one little quick burb on uh, 
Atlanta, you mentioned, you know, like you said, they've, they've been competitive. I think that's great. They've, they've been able to score. That's that's excellent With when you look at that offense, how you figure it out, because they're doing it without Kyle Pitts, Tom. Yeah, I mean, Drake London stepped up. I mean, he's kind of the guy. And Marcus Mariota's legs are getting it done. Marcus Mariota, 74 rushing yards in the first game. His legs are getting it done, and people know that he's a threat. How about the defending champs, the Rams, Tommy, one and one, Arizona, one and one. What's the line sitting at over at DraftKings right now? We have the Rams three and a half, 50. It was opened at 51. This one's down to 48 and a half on the total. Why such a dramatic drop? I have no idea. I really don't. Are we all that impressed? Because Arizona finally found themselves in the fourth quarter. Again, everyone's overreacting to these fourth quarter comebacks, Tim. Kyler Murray looked terrible. He's averaging 5.7 yards per attempt. He can't throw the ball. Now, I don't think he ever really could throw the ball, but he can't throw the ball. And the Rams have owned this team. And by the way, the Rams were owning Atlanta. I know, again, a, a, an almost comeback gets you skewed. The Rams, head-to-head, they're 9-1-1 one, one, the last 11, and 7-0 and oh in Arizona. 7-0 and oh against a spread in Arizona the last seven games. I mean, come on. The Cardinals, they are just consistently overrated. They're 2-6 and six against the spread the last eight overall games. And now you have Matthew Stafford and the slot receiver that is named Cooper Cup. Oh, yeah. They should be able to feast all day. Cardinals, they literally don't have somebody to stop the, the slant pattern. They were playing a linebacker on wide receivers for the first two weeks. The Cardinals allowed 604 passing yards and seven touchdowns in the first two weeks. Meanwhile, Stafford in his last two games against Arizona last year, 567 yards, five touchdowns. Stafford is going to have a huge game. And I think Cooper Cup, of course, has a huge game. Stop the presses. The overreaction is huge on Arizona. I guess we, really when you look at it, Murray struck. Uh, who runs the ball there? Connor's banged up. And receiving wise, look, you're going to go with Dorch, Ronnie Moore out, Hopkins out. There's, there's still a lot of problems there. Zach Ertz banged up, right, Tom? There's a lot of problems there. And I, I think the overreaction is severe when you're talking about what's the last thing we saw between with these two teams last week. Everyone's going to freak out about the Rams. I, you know, we thought last week would be the get right game. Hey, look, they got right. They got a win. This might be that ex- explanation point game. This might be that game that they go, oh, yeah, by the way, we didn't go anywhere. How about this line movement? Jackson will be in LA to take on the Chargers. Originally, Tom, a seven. We're down to three. Originally, a, a line, a, a total 47, down to 43. Justin Herbert fractured rib cartilage last week in that loss to Kansas City. I guess he's there. He's questionable. But that's where you're looking at a a massive line movement. Yeah, look, I mean, he can't be starting with this line movement. He just just simply can't. And with or without him, I like the Jaguars. I I just did. Look, Jacksonville is playing really tough. I know that they're coming off of a, a big goose egg, and I hate to play teams off a goose egg. The Chargers are really good. Their defense is fantastic. I'm not saying that they're not, but something's not clicking right now. Williams and Allen have not been playing together because one of them's hurt and the other one's banged up, and here we go. Palmer is a nice little player, but he hasn't really completely stepped up. Austin Eckler looks lost out there. They're trying to work in three backup running backs. Now you have Herbert that's banged up, and in Jacksonville, 
everything's smooth sailing. Look, Trevor Lawrence has almost no pressure on him, and he's performing really, really well. Not huge numbers. Doesn't matter. Doesn't need to be. Christian Kirk is out there earning every single dollar. James Robinson's going, what injury? What are you talking about? I don't have an injury. Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram. And then you look at this defense led by Walker, their draft pick, their first-round uh, draft pick. But look, they, this is a team that is for real. And every now and then you get into a season where week three, four, even getting to five and six, people are still going, yeah, I still remember last year's team. This is not the Jaguars last year's team. And the Chargers, they're just too banged up for my liking. Tom, we were joking earlier about it. I said, why, you know, he's got the banged-up rib cartilage. Just give him the injection like they did Tyrod Taylor a couple years ago, Tommy. That's what they do, man. Oh, that is so bad. Uh, <laughs> by the way, you, you pointed out to me, he, you know, he's suing, and he should. Yeah. He should get every dollar. He's literally injured himself, or trainer injured him on the sideline during a football game, and that, that was unbelievable. And he, never, and, and he never got to basically get a starting job again, and he'll never get a starting job again. Sunday night football, 49ers, they get – Back, they get even, so they're one and one with last week's win over Seattle, and the Broncos got their first win as well in that atrocious game we talked about with Houston. So this one lines up on uh, NBC tomorrow night. San Francisco, Tommy, now a one and a half point favorite, forty-four and a half the total. I'm surprised it's only one and a half. I mean, the Broncos have looked like absolute trash. We, we made fun of the. <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett, but it's it's well-deserved here, right? I mean, it's absolutely well-deserved. Plus, there's still that Shanahan thing going to Denver, still laying out there. The Broncos, here's – forget about all the, the obvious things with Nathaniel Hackett. Tim, I got great stats for you here. The Broncos, 13 penalties committed for 100 yards. They lead the NFL in delay of game. They lead the NFL in false starts. They lead the NFL in total offensive penalties. That's coaching, guys. That's pure coaching right there, right? Javante Williams, as averaging five yards per carry, only got 15 carries in a game last week. He was averaging 6.7 yards per carry. They decided to give it to a tight end on a third and one. This guy doesn't know what he's doing, and now he's going up against one of the best coaches, coaching minds that is out there. San Francisco is 6-1 against the spread of the last seven games, 4-1 against the spread of the last five road games. Now you got Jimmy back. I think this team is hyped up. I think San Francisco is ready to go. I think they're excited that he's back there. And, and you look at this Broncos team, you can't get out of their own way. Why is the line like this? Well, here we go, Tim. Right now we have that question mark that I'm not backing the Brinks truck up on the Niners because I don't understand the line. I'd feel better if the Niners were a seven-point favorite, which to me they should be. The Broncos look lost. They look terrible. They look desperate. Maybe the desperation is there. I don't get this line. Well, that's all the games for Sunday. Since we won't be on tomorrow night, Tom, any thoughts Monday night football? Dallas at the Giants. The Giants a one-point favorite at home. Dallas is at home getting points. Um, they've won nine of the last ten meetings, eight and two against the spread in the last ten, four and one against the spread. Uh, you know, the last five in New York, they, they, they are absolutely dominating. The Giants have lost six straight Monday night games. The Giants through two weeks, oh, everyone's loving them. They've averaged just twenty points per game. And Daniel Jones last week had a QBR of thirty-seven point three. Yet he didn't throw an interception, and he completed 65% of his passes. That's just telling you exactly what this team is. On the other side, though, I'll give you this for the Giants. Leonard Fournette, 
He averaged six yards per carry against the Cowboys. If you can run on this team, you can beat them. Cowboys defense, Giants defense, this is going to be one of those low-scoring games that you look at and you go, all right, who's going to be able to run the ball better and more effectively? Time for the free play segment of the show. Tom, what's your free winner tomorrow here on Heatwave Sports? Tim, I'm going with a team total, and I know that depending on where you could get it, you were able to get it at 27 and a half during the week. I got it at 28. I've seen it at 28 and a half or 29. I'm giving it to you at 28 where I got it, and I'm holding the ticket. Give me the Buffalo Bills team total over 28. Look, I think that they are on a roll. They're going to have to score. I think that they feel like they're going to have to score against Miami, and they want to prove a point. 27 or more points in nine straight games. I'm going to think that they can get one more point. Give me the over 28 points for the Buffalo Bills. And the Timmy teaser for week three, we are 2-0 and so far. I'm going to go back to a week one strategy. I called week one the AFC North teaser. This one's going to be called, Tommy, the AFC North teaser part two. I like the Bengals plus the one. And we're going seven points, by the way. Bengals plus the one. They win straight up easily over the Jets. And then I like the Ravens. Give me plus the four, Tom, on the road in New England. Baltimore plus four. Cincinnati plus one. And Chris Wynn likes Cincinnati minus the four. He doesn't He doesn't care about the, the, the teaser. He's taking them straight. He thinks they're going to swallow up the Jets. There you go. Uh, bet at your own risk, everybody. Bet at your own risk. But we've been pretty successful if you, if you keep track over the years. And, and Tommy. I'm you know, sprinkling some on that Timmy teaser. I'm going to do it yeah. as soon as I hang up here. Thank you, my man. Tell us everything you're doing. Tell us about TomBartonSports.com. And a special that they can get in on if they sign up tonight. Yeah, go jump in at TomBartonSports.com, guys. TomBartonSports.com. Tomorrow morning on SGN Network, Want to Bet, Weekend Edition. I'm going to have Alan Stiles, host of 95.7 The Game, over there in San Francisco to talk about Trey Lynch and Jimmy Garoppolo. Give a listen there or SportsGarten, E-R-T-E-N.com. Go check me out at YouTube. It's Tom Barton Sports. But make sure you guys jump on board. I am red hot right now. It's TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, good luck. We will talk to you in two weeks' time, my man. I'll talk to you in two weeks, and I'll be there in three. Follow us at HW Sports at Tom Barton Sports. Great, great content there. For everybody listening, we appreciate you. For Mateo, thank you very much. For Tom, I'm Tim Munglesby. We'll talk to you next Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It's Heat Wave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio. Good night. Yeah, this is what it takes. What it takes. Eyes on the prize when it's made.